I don't know how your week's been. Mine's been interesting. That's a broad word. But it's been interesting in different respect. In the last week, I've had at least two or three phone calls from Eddie Clore. Eddie's been with us and spoken to us, Truth For Today and the work they're doing, and he has an idea for the future. And I spent probably an hour or so with him on the phone the other day. And he said, Russ, we are going to eventually come out of this situation we're in, but where are we going to be? He said, I want to tell you what I want to do. And he has plans for the year 2022 that would involve congregations like us, and we'll, we'll see. But I thought about what he had to say. He said, some of the things that have gone on in recent days, we don't like for sure, but we've had to learn some things that are going to make a difference in the future. I got to tell you, I hope that Eddie is right. I want to believe he is. And to that end, I want us to talk about something that I believe is significant from the life and the ministry of Jesus. I mentioned it a little while ago, the 16th chapter of Matthew, and I want us to think about a passage there in a moment. And the reason I call this today the winds of autumn is two reasons. One, autumn began this past week. May not always look like it, but it, it's here. You look around you, you see the trees are changing, the temperatures are adjusting, the, a lot of things are going on around about us, and we recognize the season is in the midst of change. We'll say more about that as well in a moment. But there was also an autumn in the ministry of Jesus. Several years ago, I was reading one of Max Lucado's books. Please don't look at me that way. Actually, very, very capable writer. But one of the statements he makes in one of the little chapters in one of his books, I believe, was entitled, if I remember correctly, The Winds of Autumn. And he called to my attention something that I had seen before. The phrase may not have been new to him, but it, it caught my attention as he talked about the latter part of the ministry of Jesus, the latter days of his ministry. And I think there is a significant pivotal point in his ministry, and I want us to think about that this morning, because I believe we find ourselves at a season of the year where we have to reflect and think a, a little bit about what lies ahead. And in the midst of a troubling time, we wonder, where will we land when all is said and done, individually, as a people in general, and even especially as a church and as a congregation, where are we going to be down the road? Matthew 16 and verse 21 and following through 23, Matthew records for us from that time. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, that this should happen to you. But he turned to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense 
to me. For you are mindful of the things of God, not the mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. The winds of autumn from that time. Autumn is an amazing season of the year. We love it, we hate it at the same time. It's beautiful. The spring bouquet of colorful flowers gets lost in the green of summer and then we begin to see the colors return and the chlorophyll and so forth doing all the magic that it does and comes and goes and and the colors of the trees and you can look about you now and you begin to see the yellow, the reds, the oranges and, and the remaining green and a wonderful seasonal treat and it is a marvel to behold. We love it. Autumn's a special time. Fall, if you will, is a special time. Maybe you were like me as a child. There were certain things that stood out when fall came. It was get the fall clothing. You had to go and buy those new school clothes or, or, or hand-me-downs or whatever it might be. It might have been at the time. But it's also the time where football was being played everywhere in the autumn in the fall of the year, the baseball season was reaching its conclusion and working towards that World Series. And there was always excitement around those things. Those were in the pre, pre-soccer days. We didn't have soccer in those days, or European football, if I, I guess to be correct. But it was also a time for school, and we disdained that. We hated to see the end of summer. It was a time for school to begin. You had to go back to the classroom. But that had its ups, too. It was exciting to go back and be with friends that you hadn't seen for several months and be with them for a little while and do some of the things that you did in school. And You know, even if you could get along with those old haggard teachers that were there. But as we saw the crispness in the air begin to rise, it was a harbinger of things to come. And as we've gotten older, perhaps, if you're like me, you begin to recognize the beauty of the changing of the seasons more than we did when we were young. It reminds us of the greatness of God and His artistry and His creative abilities. But as I said, it is a harbinger of things to come, for the coming of autumn also meant that the cold and bitter months of winter were drawing closer as they are. If we relay that and use that imagery, we recognize that there is a pivotal point of change in the ministry and the work of Jesus. That's why I call it the winds of autumn. The crowds are less enthusiastic. Many are walking away from him, not following him or listening to him anymore. The questions seem to be more antagonistic, trying to catch him in some mistake or some flaw, get him to say something that they can use in accusation. accusation. There is an obvious desire on the part of some that they might be rid of him, to, to defame him, to take away his popularity, to belittle him in the eyes of others. And for some, it has already become something of an obsession, so much so that many of them will settle for nothing less than he be, that he be killed. So I call it, we call it, the winds of autumn, the changes in place, and there is no doubt that Jesus knows it. And yet, even though autumn bearing in his ministry, there is much work to do. 
Preparations need to be made. Disciples need to be trained and prepared for what is coming down the road in his departure from them. At the same time, there is no way they can be fully prepared. When are we ever fully prepared for the harshness of winter to make its way? He knows that. He knows what is coming. He knows what it means. He knows what it will mean to them. It will be difficult to face. He knows what is coming in his life, as I said, and it will be difficult for him to face. But he will face it all, and he will face it well. And as the writer of the book of Hebrews reminds us, he'll face it with joy. But the point is, change is coming. The large crowds had followed him with such a passion in early days in his ministry. At least twice he had fed thousands of people with a small amount of food each time. And they had each been there. They had each been amazed and they had been impressed with what was going on. And they wanted to draw near to him. They had thrilled at his general teaching, the words that he shared, and how it had such a strength and such an authority to it. And they were amazed at the words that he shared in those days. And those illustrative stories, the parables we call them. Those parables that were so alive, so amazing, so pointed, caught their attention, and people wondered about the stories that he told. And so much was the passion of the people for Jesus, so much was their desire to see him, so much was their need to draw near and to be healed or just sit at his feet and hear what he had to say. There were times that day and night would go on and he didn't even have time to stop and eat because of the demands of the people and houses and and courtyards would be filled and pressing with people longing to hear what he had to say. But notice what Matthew records here for us in the 16th chapter. Notice what he says here. After Peter has made that great proclamation that he is the Christ, and Jesus has praised that proclamation, it says, from that time. Here he is seemingly at the pinnacle of belief, at the pinnacle of people holding him up, recognizing him, honoring him. But it says, from that time. And that four-letter word, time, what a word it is. But it reminds us and questions, what time is it? For we recognize to some degree that Jesus had been on something of a time schedule from the earliest days of his ministry and even God's time schedule before that. Remember that encounter with his mother at the wedding feast when the wine had run out and she went to him. And he says, what has that got to do with me? What does your worry have to do with me? He says, my time isn't yet. My time isn't now. For he knew there was a schedule. He knew there was something. He knew there were fulfillments to come. For from the very beginning of his ministry, it is pointed out, and the times of God were there. Mark chapter 1, verse, verse 15. Even at the end, it seems, of his ministry as he's with his parting, some of his parting words to his disciples before he's crucified in, in, in John 16. When he says, basically, the time is coming. It's here. It's now. 
The context and intensity of the messages that he told in those latter days from Matthew 16 onward becomes much more clear, much stronger, much more abrupt, if you will. The time and the time frames and the messages that were there become very particular and very strong as he talks about the behavior and the practices of people and the things that are coming. He presses it onward home. For he knows it's getting near. And if we can, we, we need to step back and look into the mind of Jesus for a moment. For these are not just stories as he would tell, for the kingdom of heaven is like. They're not just stories that are thrown out there. These are not fairy tales, but these are pointed stories. And many of them were, were so real, they were happening to him. Think of particularly that story that he tells in Mark 12 of the evil vine dressers where the master sets up the vineyard and has it all prepared, puts men in charge of it. And when he sends servants to collect Kind of like a sharecropping situation. Sends servants to collect. They beat, they abuse, they send them away, they even kill them. Finally, he says, well, I'll send my son. And we can see the picture there. I'll send my son. And they recognize, if we kill the son, we're free. At least their thinking is. But we see the imagery there and we recognize how real this story really is. It's not just a story. It's not just something possible out there. It is the reality that Jesus is living. And we can only imagine as we look at the mind of Jesus that there was within it, there was a temptation. There was a temptation to not endure what he was about to endure. If there weren't, he wouldn't be human. But there was a temptation to not endure what he was about to endure. But his determination to do it was there. And what he was doing as he was speaking to his disciples here was expressing it to others. He was saying, here's what's coming. This is coming our way. He was putting a burden on them that they were, they were not equipped at that point to fully comprehend or fully to handle. But it was coming. And as he lays it upon them, he passes that burden along and they begin to recognize there's something here. It's not just on him, it is on us as well. His words to Peter may have seemed harsh. But he wanted him to understand how significant this really is. Get behind me, Satan! You are an offense to me! That's how pointed this really is. And as he expresses it, it makes it even more real. For he there was signaling what was coming. Maybe in part it was to prepare his disciples, but maybe in part it was to prepare his own mind. For you think of leaders of old and those of old who had recognized that their end was coming. God had told Moses, you won't enter the promised land. And as Moses comes to the end of his life in Deuteronomy 31, he says, I'm an old man now. I cannot come and go as I, I once did. At 120 years of age, we can imagine that. But he tells them there in Deuteronomy 31 in the first part of the chapter, he said, the Lord has told me I will not be going in. And we think of that picture as he goes and he sees the promised land, but he knows he will not enter. He knew what was coming. 
Even David, after the 40 years of leadership as the king and the great years that have been there, the trouble sometimes that have been along, and David is coming to the end of his ministry, and finally the time is, is there, and he needs to pass the torch. He needs to pass the baton, if you will, to the next, and he sends it down to Solomon through some difficulties, but he gives it to Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 2 and gives him warnings there. And a short time later we read, of his dying. These were signaling what was coming. They were much like Jesus in that regard. And I don't mean to think in quite the likeness of David or of Moses or prophets of old, but I think about those words of Martin Luther King on that last night before he was assassinated, before he was murdered. As he went to speak, and you probably read them or seen them at other times, he says, there in his presentation like anybody I would like to live a long life longevity has its place but I'm not concerned about that now I just want to do God's will and he's allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land I may not get there with you but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to that promised land and I and so I'm happy tonight I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. I believe he captured in those words. While he was speaking of a civil rights movement, I believe he captured in those words the essence of leadership that sees something beyond its time. He captured the idea of Jesus and what he was putting forward of Moses and even of David. There's something coming. And Jesus was trying to tell his disciples there's something coming. And you're going to face this, but you're going to get there and it's going to be all right. Jesus was plainly signaling the coming of the change and the commitment and that, would it, that it would challenge, that it would bring out of his disciples who would be his. Yes, change was a coming and it was coming fast so if I can I want to borrow a phrase the times they are a changing we have had a wake-up call a wake-up wake-up call of even change and I refer you to Eddie Clore's words. What are we going to be? What are we going to know? Perhaps we feel a little bit like Rip Van Winkle at times today when we wake up and we see a different world. A world that we awaken to that we hardly recognize where, where people run around in masks, where they separate themselves from one another, where you can't even go in and out the same doors as people very carefully, where church buildings are no longer places where you can sit close to people and greet them and embrace them and put your arms around one another or shake one another's hands. It's a world we don't recognize. Yes, we've received a wake-up call. For recent events have called into question just about everything that we do on a daily basis. And hopefully we are coming to understand that even as we 
adapt. That there ought to be a wonder of where we will yet be. Again, the words of Peter, a little bit later than this. Lord, we've left all and followed you. What then shall we have? He was wondering, where in the world are we going to be down the road now? For as Peter had challenged the Lord, he was challenged even more to see where he is in a different way. For after he had boldly proclaimed that Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus turns to him and says, Get behind me, Satan. Peter was truly challenged to see who and where he is in a different way. And we need to see ourselves. We need to see ourselves in our time. We need to see ourselves in our place. We need to see ourselves. Are we just trying to restore what's comfortable for us and what we want? Are we trying to just be the people that we may have been? Maybe we need to awaken to a realization that we've got to become a people of our time. I don't know what that means. We've talked about it in our house. I've talked about it many times. I don't believe I've got the answers. Even as I spoke with Eddie Clore the other day, I didn't believe I had the answers. I'm not sure he has them. But we've got to try, don't we? We've got to try and see. There are things that we do today we would not have done because we didn't know to do them. We stream out across the world in a broad way. We set up opportunities for people to see and understand. Hopefully when we arrive we can realize how a tool like that can be used even more so. Because we don't know exactly where we're going to be or what's going to be. And I know it's always been that way, but maybe even more so now. Exact answers are not known to us. We don't know exactly how we're going to land. When will these things be off of us? Or what will be next upon us? We don't really know. But wouldn't it be awful if time allowed us, as it may allow us, to come out of this and simply say that we've had a year we would rather forget? So I offer to you briefly three things to learn about changing time, our changing times and where we are. The same thing Jesus was telling his disciples. He told them this is very real and we are where we live. This is real. This is where we live. This is the now. We don't live in the yesterday. We don't live 10 years ago. We don't live 20 years ago. Those are great memories. But we live where we are now. And we deal with what we deal with now. We are where we are. And these things are very real. Secondly, we learn that raging against them or denying them will not change them. We can rage all we want, but it's not going to change them, and it won't get us anywhere. Realizing what is upon us and realizing the situations in which we live and the world in which we live, not just the pandemic, but the struggles of our time and our place, the struggles of dealing with our young people and helping them to have something that they can look forward to, to our own lives, that we might see this forward view of things raging against them or trying to reverse them 20, 30, 40, or 50 years will not happen. 
denying them will not change them. And the third thing that we would note is Jesus even points to his disciples that God's will and his providence are far larger than our imaginations. We haven't even begun to grasp what God can and even will do with our times and even with us if we are willing. His will and his providence are always going to be larger than our imaginations. With those three things in mind, I offer to you this. I don't, as I said, have the answers, but if you look at the following verses to what we read, verses 24 through about verse 27, how we are to look and operate in these changing times can come down to some practical things. One is we need to adapt to the opportunities of the times. We need to see how we can best use our times to spread the gospel, to keep, keep the message that Jesus is the Christ open and broad and teach people the beautiful message of the gospel. Secondly, we need to prioritize the humble, sacrificial example of Jesus. It needs to be in our lives, it needs to be in our worship, it needs to be in our words as we communicate with others. The sacrificial and humble example of Jesus. Let me be a servant. Let me be a servant like him. So that leads us into the third one. May we continue to serve regardless of our situation. May we continue to serve in meaningful ways. A lady said to me the other day, I can't get out, I can't drive, I can't do much anymore, but I can use the telephone. And I said, that's valuable. Continuing to serve in our meaningful way, in meaningful ways, in whatever way we can. And the fourth thing that I would say is we need to always be looking forward. Change is a coming. And it's already here. In spite of what the changes were bringing to Jesus, he was undeterred in his pursuit of doing God's will. In the ninth chapter of Luke, some people even rejected him because it says his face was set to Jerusalem. He was on his way to his journey where he was going to die. And his face was set. He was determined to go there anyway. We, never, we may never be exactly what we were, and maybe that's a good thing. But whatever changes may come, we can continue to take the opportunity to serve God with honesty and reverence, and in the process, serve one another in the church and reach to people beyond the church. Yes, I believe changes have come and will come. I've thought about it, I've prayed about it, I've struggled with it because I don't know that I've got the answers. I don't know anybody yet that does. But I do believe God does. And I believe in his will and I believe the opportunities of his will will uphold and I believe they will strengthen, I believe they will provide, I believe we can be whatever God wants and needs us to be in any time, in any pandemic, in any struggle, in any strife. We need to see beyond our own eyesight as best we can. 
We need to see beyond the things that are comfortable for us to the things that may push us beyond our envelope a little bit. We need to reach out to the hand of God and let it draw us perhaps further than we've ever been before. This morning we will sing a song of encouragement. Let it be a song of invitation. Perhaps there's someone who's never put the Savior on in baptism. We want that opportunity to be yours. It is in the gospel and we want the gospel spread to all. We want you to know that Jesus Christ died for our sins and the only hope of salvation is in him. Maybe there's someone who needs to respond this day. You give that considerable thought and I pray that you will make the right choice. If there are others that need to come for one reason or another, we gladly assist you at this time. All you need to do is come. While we stand and sing together.